Hello, and welcome to the Blossom Your Awesome podcast, episode number 43. Today on the show, best-selling author David Brower is here with us, and he is teaching people the art of alivefulness, living fully energized and empowered each and every day, and he teaches people how to savor their lives pleasurably in each and every moment. I am so honored and delighted to have David here with us, sharing his wisdom, insights, and light. David, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, Sue. So David, you have such, you're up to amazing things. So I want to kind of start from the beginning um, tell us you are from Southern California from, I think you grew up in Hollywood. Is that correct? Beverly Hills. Close. Yep. Yeah. Oh, Beverly <laughs> Hills. And, um, you are now, and you've been living in Paris for 30 years. It just sounds so amazing. And I want to hear how this all transpired for you. And now you are a pleasure coach, a best-selling author. So tell us, um, you know, how this kind of transpired. <laughs> that's, a, that's a lot of years. <laughs> that's a lot of life. Well, you know, I mean, I, I was studying to become a lawyer in college, let's say, uh, at UCLA, and was doing everything to get prepared for the LSAT, the test to get into, uh, into a good school. And I remember taking two preparatory courses, the two big ones, Pritikin and Kaplan or whatever they were called. And in spite of like over-preparing like crazy, you know, I did horribly. And it was a real wake-up call to me as sometimes we have in life where we kind of run ourselves into a wall because we're, uh, or I'll say I was, I guess, too uncertain and unclear about where I was going with my life. And so I kind of let the so-and-so hit the fan so that I could then escape, really. Uh, when I look back at my life, that's really the story that I, I tell myself. Uh, and so at 22, three weeks after I got out of college, studying political science, was going to go to law school, surrounded by people who are going to law school, everyone's kind of either that or going into a job. And here I am saying, you know, I'm leaving to go to Paris. And uh, I came here because my dad had a former lawyer connection from a couple of decades before, uh, trying to get a script to somebody here uh, in the movie business. And so connected me that way. And that kind of determined me coming here versus going to Spain, for example. And I got on a plane, one-way ticket, and knew nobody, really and started off with this three-month mailboy job. And from there, started to realize that like my life had just been rebooted. You know, I'm parachuted, teleported uh, into a country, into, you know, I'd never been to Europe, into a world uh, I knew nothing about, a language I spoke only a little bit of, and, uh, uh, you know, significant culture and realized that I was, you know, in a kind of interesting playground to explore and just kind of see where it took me. 
and yeah, uh, you know, Zoom to today, uh, uh, you know, 30 years later, I'm still here and in between, you know, got actually re-involved in the uh, entertainment business, whether it was in publishing at Disney uh, or distributing, you know, television programs from Paris to Latin America for a small company that had the Jim Henson catalog. So this is all the Muppets and all of these types of characters, <clears throat> excuse me. And, uh, and then also working for a company called IMAX, which uh, probably people know the big screen cinema company for about a decade here for Europe, Middle East and Africa in the film and distribution marketing. And that was up to about 10 years ago. And uh, in the meantime, I married a beautiful uh, a French woman and you know, built uh, built my life here. I never, never moved back to the U.S. Uh, after that moment when I left UCLA with my backpack and uh, you know, my uh, I remember bringing a like a comfortable inflatable mattress, uh, which like no one travels with. I mean, <laughs> unless you're going like camping or something. I knew so little about traveling back then; it was crazy. <laughs> It was absolutely comical. Uh, and so, so yeah, so built a life here and up to about 10 years ago when I left the corporate world and started to explore um, more the types of uh, uh, ways that I wanted to experience the world and potentially spend more the rest of my life. I'd kind of done 20, 20 plus years in the, uh, in the corporate space, which was great. Uh, you know, worked for incredible companies and people and always, always had followed my, uh, my heart and passion in that uh, respect. And I think uh, I got quite lucky uh, uh, with that. And yeah, but just felt kind of just like more to getting a certain sense of self-actualization and um, being able to bring more the more and better potentially the the gifts that I have the talents I've cultivated uh, and blend different uh, passions of my life together to uh, to somehow find a way to to make a living and serve the world and um, and kind of carry on from there wow oh my god okay this is such a cool story because you know i love that you said that you were kind of escaping and you know a lot of times when we try to escape we always come back right because the escape isn't this romantic beautiful you know parisian place it's just wherever we think is going to be better but i think it's so cool that you escaped to paris like that's amazing and you stayed there well the food the food is better here i'm sorry to say <laughs> you stayed for the and, food and the wine is better well yeah. Yeah. uh no so uh yeah and it, it's it is a kind of a fascinating uh piece of life uh, i think escaping is under underestimated uh, for me, escaping is giving yourself the time and the space to roam. Uh, and I've often found in my life that that's, those have been the moments where I've been able to reconnect with myself and able to go deeper uh, 
within and also able to explore and experiment and try uh, different things that I'm curious about that I'm drawn to uh, and you know live uh, live a little bit of a different life for a little while uh, so uh, I couldn't encourage more people uh, to uh, to escape this said like you're saying I mean wherever you go there you are whoever said that mm -hmm. you, know, you can't uh, you can't entirely escape yourself but I do believe that there's tremendous power in um, placing yourself into environments and situation and circumstances that permit you to uh, to grow potentially there where you have felt that you were maybe stuck where you were living um, you know and this could be in the way that you have uh, a relationship with romantic people. This could be the kinds of friendships you have. This could be the kind of work that you may allow yourself to be. This could be sort of the the, the context that you that you live in. You know, there's quite a difference. I mean, I grew up in a very car culture, and to come to Paris, which is the polar opposite. I mean, how many people they meet here are still like 50 years old? that don't have driver's licenses. I'm like, no. how is, like, how do you go on holiday when you're, you know, uh, but to just give you a sense of the, like the difference uh, uh, of that. So I think there's a lot there. I think escaping, you know, a certain food culture, a certain drinking culture, a certain um, maybe very polarizing way of seeing the world. So there's, there's lots of positive aspects for me to be able to escape uh, and that helped me become more, I feel, more the person that I wanted to become and I was hoping to become, you know, more, more worldly, more traveled, more, you know, multicultural. I mean, one of the beautiful things of living in Europe is, you know, within two, two to three hour flights here, there's, I don't know, 25 countries, including, you know, just getting to the start of the Middle East, Africa, so you're you're surrounded by um, really endless opportunities to go put yourself into some new context where you don't know the culture, you don't know the food, you don't know the language, uh, you don't know the lifestyle, uh, the architecture, what the bus stops are like, like how people dress. Like it's so it's so incredible for me. So in the escape idea, I put a lot of that. And, and frankly speaking, with a lot of holiday that we get here in, in most of the countries in, in Europe, and particularly France, is, is one of those. You know, the opportunity to be able to escape the urban jungle, to go somewhere along the ocean or in the mountains. And the French are very talented and very skilled at uh, you know, escaping the cities to go to either their country homes or some family member's country home or, or just somewhere to, to get in contact with, uh, with nature, to be somewhere way more rustic, uh, to, uh, to get somewhere way more simplified and, and really reconnect with nature and calm and quiet uh, and, you know, just like a completely different kind of local village people. Uh, you know, so it's it's another kind of form of a uh, escape. So yeah, no, it's really as we think as we speak about this, I come 
I'm just realizing that I think probably I would be very troubled if I'd spent my life in one country, mm. no matter what it is, it could be France even, you know, in one country without traveling around the world to get a taste and a sense of the diversity and variety of, of our world. Because uh, at the end of the day, isn't this what most of our struggles are about today is this kind of lack of curiosity and so kind of fear and this sense of, you know, the foreigner, the stranger, uh, and, and sort of taking these cliches and images we get probably a lot from the media and movies of kind of what a culture is and who the people are and, um, you know, these types of things. I mean, one example is maybe you and your listeners have heard of Anthony Bourdain. Uh -huh. uh, who was uh -huh. this French guy who lived in uh, America. He was a former chef, uh -huh. um, such a great guy uh, in terms of food culture and searching for food around the world and funny and crazy. His book, uh, Kitchen Confidential, whatever it's called, is like the funniest thing. I'm like laughing out loud reading it. He's a bit rambunctious uh -huh. and wild and off the chart. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, he kind of demonstrated that going around the world like this opens up uh, us to so much, um, so much richness and abundance and variety. And like some of the big greatest places he ate and who said that the people were the most welcoming ever would be countries that politically speaking, we would completely discount. So for example, one of them was Iran. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, he went there and said it was like the greatest food. And this, he's talking about home food, like the greatest food like ever and like the greatest hospitality. It's like, who's going to put that at the top of their list? Right? <laughs> right. So, you know, we don't, we don't really know uh, so much. It's very humbling um, also to, to escape like that. Mm, that is just so amazing. Now, you know, you really rubbed that in and it just made me really so envious. I mean, that is just um, incredible. And I think so now let me ask you, David, you're obviously you have this deeper kind of ability to appreciate because you have this, you know, your 20s up to your, you know, mid 20s or whatever it is in the States, right? And then you go to this beautiful kind of other culture, which kind of allows you this greater depth of appreciation because you have that contrast, right? Well, in the beginning, as with any experience we would have in something quite different in terms of culture, uh -huh. uh, and if you go to somewhere different and you don't play the expatriate, which I didn't do when I came here, some people come here and they live very much surrounded by Anglophone, let's say you're an American, or you come in, you surround yourself by Anglophones, uh -huh. uh, and like only parents who and other people who only speak English, maybe you're part of networking groups, and maybe you don't really speak the language so much, so it makes that difficult. And maybe you're a little bit older, so it's a bit more difficult. I mean, there's lots of versions of this. Uh, but my intention was I'm not going to come somewhere and not immerse myself so much uh, to miss out really on the depth and the richness uh, and the rainbow of experiences I can possibly have. I'm like, I'm going to completely miss out on what really makes France France if I don't speak the language, if I don't understand the culture, if I don't know, learn how to eat and talk about food, if I don't 
learn to improve my palate and learn to express what my senses are experiencing uh, so that I can exchange it with people. If I don't learn to be able to voice my opinion about a movie that I hated, but that four of the people around the table absolutely loved, and no one really cares whether you hate or love it, what matters is the discussion, mm-hmm. you know? And so a lot of a lot of those kinds of things. I, and yeah, I, you know, in, in some ways there's a, a slowing down here and a more of a desire to have more uh, history and depth and, you know, potentially to eat slower and to appreciate where food come from, comes from and who, who makes it. And it's this very specific region for this, little, this kind of sausage. And that's the best one in France and everyone knows it. And on top of it, it's like, you know, it's like intestines or something, you know, that like everyone's going, yeah, but let me tell you, you eat it and you're not going to be doing that, right? Right. And yeah, food has been a a portal and a tremendous portal Mm -hmm. for like sensory and um, sense opening and particularly like the experiences that happen around a table when you feel the love and dedication and skill that is applied to make it always a very pleasurable, sensory, sensual, um, shared moment. There's a great word in French, it's called allégresse, mm-hmm. and it means shared joy. So it's not just your joy, but you're sharing your joy. And then suddenly everyone is kind of sharing it uh, together so yeah I mean if you're fortunate enough to be um, and find and maybe choose uh, where you go have your food experiences whatever that is in in life uh, and you're really present and attentive to what you're experiencing through your senses you're actually slowing down and really you know expressing what you're experiencing and not just saying oh this is good but you're saying I love the texture of this calamari that was grilled um, and then steamed. Uh, and then you want to, you know, ask the waiter and the chef, like, you know, how did you do this? And so, so like your 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 experience of life is is demultiplied. It's amplified and enhanced in a way that's, as I call it, very sensorial and very pleasurable. Like we can get so much more out of a an experience, and I, I talk a lot about the food and eating experience, because of course where I am, mm-hmm. uh, but I think that's applicable to, to really anywhere and almost any experience, whether you're in a relationship, romantic, a conversation, um, you're, you're doing some work thing, you're doing um, some sports, you're, whatever you're doing, if you bring yourself to want to amplify the experience and kind of, you know, 10x it in sort of modern language because you want to give it more value because you're giving it more attention and you're seeking like how to make this special, how to even make it surprising, how to like create a little bit of awe, a little bit of, you know, all of this and, and enter into a sort of savoring of the experience, which requires us to be very present and, and value it. Uh, this is a bit different for me. This is a bit different than just being mindful uh, of something and being present. Uh, 
I feel in a lot of ways, we want to be able to adjust the volume and the colors of what we're doing. So I don't just want to on and off switch for the lighting. I want like a variator, right? Mm -hmm. That lets me uh, change the intensity. And then I want the other one that's like a color knob, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, but like, if you think of life like this it, and that you you start to choose and and train yourself and create a lifestyle and, um, you know, kind of push yourself like, you know, we're always talking about pushing ourselves in so many ways in life or, uh, and like when it comes down to like daily living, these are the, this is like the spiritual playground, mm. you know, and everything that we experience. Um, I eat alone because I live alone now and I'm constantly seeking to make special, beautiful moments where I feel like I'm in like self-love 101. I mean, I'm honoring the food that I'm eating. Uh, I'm having a pleasurable moment. And because it's so tasty and it is so nicely plated because I'm always making an effort. Like if you look what I posted, I think at lunch today on Instagram, you know, it's like a 10, 10 vegetable salad that I made for lunch today. Uh, you know, it's like this rainbow flower, uh, you know, dining experience. Uh, and I'm not like getting my hair cut and eating lunch, or I'm not um, <laughs> on the phone eating lunch, or I'm not in front of the computer eating lunch. I'm seeking as much as I can to kind of be present and sit, you know, in a nice place in my home, sit up properly, use a good napkin, you know, constantly saying to myself, David, you know, practice what you want to be when you're with other people also, right? So I'm not slumping, I'm not, I'm eating properly with both hands. Um, you know, my mouth, I'm eating properly. I'm trying to constantly be like a beginner's mind also to remind myself how beautiful life is. And it, I don't have to be with other people to be in performance. <laughs> and it reminds me of a story, if I may. Uh -huh. When I was, when I was growing up, I was probably early in high school, maybe 14 or 15. And I was eating with my mom and my stepfather. And I was clearly not eating very properly. And probably my arm was under the table, which I guess is maybe part of the training there, but am was probably eating with my mouth kind of open and blah, blah, blah. And my, and my mom literally said to me, you know, you know, sit up straight and, and eat more properly. You can't, you can't eat like this. And I said to my mom, like the worst thing you could ever say, right? <laughs> my response was, I'm like, don't worry, mom. When I'm out with other people, I don't eat like this. <laughs> I mean, like the worst thing ever you could say, right? Right. So, but it reminds me, how come I remember that one moment? Because it was, you know, what you practice at home, you will be rewarded for in public. And so apply that to all the experiences we have when we're alone, for example, um, and or, you know, practicing something. And it's just a, it's just a really nice, uh, reminder, I think, to, to, you know, constantly give value to what we're living in every moment. And it's a form of what I call alive-fulness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is so beautiful, David. And I want to get into this concept of alive-fulness with you. Um, you know, but I want to just ask you, speaking to what you just shared right now, like, so this notion, you know, like life for you is it's romanticized, right? In this way where you really are kind of taking it in. And, you know, here in the States, 
we don't do that, right? Everything is so fast paced and who has, I mean, there's that occasional moment. Yeah. You go out to dinner with friends and you hang out and you have fun or here and there with family, you're able to kind of sit, you know, for an extended period of time, but generally we are kind of just on the go. So what is your advice for people in other places and places like in the States to kind of, how do we begin to learn to kind of slow down and savor the moment, savor things. What's your guidance for that? Yeah, there's a lot there. I would start first with using the language I and not we. Uh, let other people live the life and have the experience that they want to, to have uh, so that we take back ownership for how we want to experience the life that we want to lead. And sort of become the leader in that respect. You know, be the one who's inviting to a different kind of restaurant. Be the one who's hosting dinners at your place, you know, where you pull out your best napkins and your grandmother's silverware. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, make moments special. If you make moments special, people's brains wake up. It, you know, they feel like they're in a moment of celebration. They're suddenly in kind of thing of awe. They'll probably never invite you to their place because they'll never do that effort, but that's okay. It's, mm -hmm. it's kind of lonely at the top. <laughs> but as you as you decide to, as exactly as you say, Sue, it's really a kind of a way of romanticizing your experience of, of living. And frankly, you know, with so many areas in life, this enhances your, uh, it, it enhances your experience. This is sort of the, enjoy the ride not just the destination right and so already to set the intention that you want to have more intentional purposeful pleasure uh, in your life and so for you for each person like what would that look like in terms of eating what would that look like in terms of exercise what would that look like in terms of relationships and friendships and the kinds of conversations that you're going to have and the subjects that you want to explore with and like who do you want around your table uh, and you know the French have done something very smart uh, not only the French but the French really eat in three or four steps during a, a meal particularly dinner or the sort of longer meals and things but like you, you don't put everything onto one plate, right? You, first of all, you have kind of a starter and then you have a main dish with maybe a side and then maybe you have a, you know, a cheese or a salad or something in and maybe some dessert or something. And so, uh, you know, this sort of potluck of idea that everything should be on the table and just, you know, dig in, which I hate that word, okay. uh, you know, dig in or, or even the other one is, <laughs> Like when a, when, a, when a waiter comes up and says, are you still working on that? <laughs> on the plate, you're like, I'm not working here. Like who's working, you know? So just to like become super picky in a lot of ways about raising the standard of what you're willing to accept and experience and start to externalize and ask in an elegant but assertive way. Uh, and you start to get more agency over what your experience is. But also, like, don't go eat at places where you're not feeling like that honoring in that experience is 
is happening. Start to integrate a little bit more, um, you know, places that that uh, are are more into serving things more slowly, or not like they're not into turning the tables mm-hmm. um, so much. And there are places that are not doing that. That's one of the beautiful things here. It's pretty rare here in Paris or in France for people to be turning the tables. You know, you have as much time as you want to spend. Mm-hmm. Um, making some. This is also why fast food is not such a good idea. This is also why takeout is not such a good idea. Uh, you know, you want to cook for yourself a little bit more potentially or learn to do that even better because first of all, there's a whole sensorial meditative sensory process that gets you out of your head. I mean, buy a really sharp, big Japanese knife and trust me, you're going to be paying attention while you're cutting vegetables. You know, you're going to be super present uh, and start to just notice more, you know, use life like that in these sensory moments to be more attentive to um, to what you're experiencing. I mean, like, why are people willing to meditate for 20 minutes once or twice a day, but no one wants to spend 20 minutes preparing a delicious uh, meal? you know, and and being strategic about it enough so that you only spend 20 minutes to prepare it, Uh, you know, uh, and not just doing it last minute and not not like making it important to to your life. So yeah, it's, it's a conscious choice in a lot of ways and then making different choices about how you spend your time potentially, like where you spend more time than others uh and potentially maybe finding people who eat more slowly finding people who walk more slowly and look at the flowers you know like like we need to value more the kinds of people who are who are doing this i mean walk around with your grandparents you know (laughs) trust me they're gonna be looking at the flowers and smelling them you know to remind ourselves of uh of all of this and at the end of the day I really believe and feel and aspire to living in a way that uh, that puts savoring at the core of our experience. I mean, at the end of the day, this is a very spiritual uh, adventure uh, to decide that you're going to not just go from point A to B in whatever experience, task, job, thing that you're doing, but you're gonna fill in that, make that sort of an A to Z. And along the way, you're gonna get out of your thinking, get out of your head and lift your head. For example, when you're walking from A to B, like lift your head and say to yourself, ask yourself, where am I? Okay, and then you start looking around and try and check in with your different senses. What am I smelling? What am I hearing? Uh, And you start to play a little bit more and you get out of thinking this, this, overly facile place that we've conditioned ourselves to go to which feels comfortable and safe and kind of we just know what's there to pulling back and seeing I've walked a thousand times down this same street but I've never looked at the trees I've never looked at the architecture you know I've never spent my time looking on the ground to see if I find some kind of little little something that somebody left I find gifts all the time on the ground incredible things (laughs) You know, and so like observing, noticing, uh, and overall, like sincerely 
um, finding the value in that because we need breaks. Our brain needs breaks. Uh, our attention needs breaks. We can't be 100% of our day caught in thinking, uh, potentially chronic anxiety around that, uh, in some kind of a loop maybe on some things, trying to figure something out consciously all the time. We need to be able to escape a bit that by leaning on our senses, exploring the world around us, and letting our subconscious and our brain work on the intention of the problem we're trying to figure out or the, you know, the issue we're trying to work through or the anger, or the frustration or whatever it is and allow ourselves a moment of respite. And again, when you make that pleasurable, when you start to say, wow, I mean, look at that flower. Like I have these new roses on my terrace here that just came out. Mm -hmm. um, this week and I'm like every morning I go out there and I'm like looking at them like speaking to them right, right. I'm like thank you I haven't seen you in a year <laughs> like, I, like I want to value that like right. this is a seasonal thing I'm only going to see for the next couple months so if we don't if we don't return and give value to what we experience and make the movie of our lives that we're the hotel right we're the writer the director the producer like, it's not like going to the movies and someone is feeding us. You know, you choose your experience. And that takes a bit of taking a step back. Like, what is important to me? How do I want to live my life? What are the different choices I need to make? What are the new lifestyle and habits I, I could cultivate and seek to experience so that I can expand the way that I um, walk through life and and for me, a lot of ways, it's really to get out of your head, right? Mm. To be able to sense and savor and value, um, you know, the life around us. We can't just order any kind of food. And because we're in some kind of conversation with somebody or we're caught in some thinking or we're watching something, like we don't even know what we're eating. It's just that we're just kind of like, you know, plowing it into our mouth to use a crude word instead of really valuing it and savoring it. I mean, my gosh, we're eating to nourish our body, to honor our body. Uh, and, you know, so many people seem not to know how to eat or cook for themselves or even order things in restaurants that are gonna make it so that, as it was at Aristotle or somebody said, you know, make, make uh, food thy medicine, mm. right? And of course, if you don't care about food, I mean, really, you're going to allow yourself to eat things that potentially are not really um, that pleasurable or that purposeful. I like to kind of align pleasure with purpose. So it's performant. And so you eat something, let's say delicious and pleasurable, but, but it's also fresh, healthy, non-industrial. And you're not eating the same thing every day. You're varying a bit. So your body gets a mix of different nutrients. And like, you know, without really making that much an effort at the end of the day, when it becomes a lifestyle, suddenly you're eating way better. Suddenly you're savoring more what you're eating. Suddenly you, because you're so attentive to what you're eating, you can't eat stuff that's not really that good because you're like, what am I eating? This is not so great, right? Yeah. Like the minute you get attentive, the food and the way you're experiencing it, if you want to live with higher standards, you know, is not so easy to to accept if it's not really 
there. So, so I'm probably rambling on here a little bit. So I will stop for a moment and drink a glass of water. But <laughs> no, I love it. This is so amazing. Now, you know, I, I just, I think it's so awesome, David, that it seems like this whole, this ability to kind of slow down and savor through the meals, I'm sure kind of, uh, you know, impacts the other parts of your life, right? Because you're kind of training yourself to slow down in this, you know, during breakfast or tea time or whatever it is. And then that has to translate in other parts of your life as well, where you are able to kind of walk slower and smell the roses and all of that, right? Has that kind of trained you to be more mindful in other moments through this practice of really enjoying and treasuring and savoring? It, it surely helps. And I mean, the lucky thing around eating is maybe two or three times a day you have that experience. And if you cook your own meals, the experience is even longer. Mm -hmm. And cooking is a whole nether realm. I could talk for hours about um, the value of cooking for cultivating uh, mindfulness, a certain meditativeness, uh, ease, pleasure, um, connection with others, creativity, mm. uh, savoring. I mean, there's, there's not that many things where actually all of your senses come into play, uh, if you really think about it, uh, than cooking. Mm. Uh, but really, you're kind of exercising everything. Uh, and at the same time, you know, it's, that's helpful. And I would hope that for me uh, and for anyone else who kind of lives, um, I guess, in, in this kind of way, I guess, is that you, you do want to be able to then use that in other parts of your experience. So for example, maybe you do this around food, but do you do this with, you know, the, the romantic partner in your life? Do you give them this, you know, dedicated, savoring presence? You know, where you're not on your phone, where you're not racing to do something else. We haven't so packed your schedule that you can't even linger and relish each other and uh, and reconnect like you were when you were first together 10 years ago. So that like, you know, there's all this watering down that's kind of happening. So it's it's really how do you bring this alive from this into more and more moments of your life? whether you're doing your taxes and, you know, and I don't know, I mean, people say to me often like, oh, you're, you know, this doesn't work when you're doing something difficult or like, well, okay, maybe it doesn't in some respects at the same time, you know, you could play your favorite kind of Latin dancing music while you're doing your taxes and it's going to make that process a little bit more smooth. Right. <laughs> you right. know, um, or you could drink uh, your favorite uh, smoothie or something. You, you know, it's like, how do you, how do you make pleasurable these um, moments of, of life? And, and believe me, I have to constantly remind myself, even though I'm, you know, I have quite a bit of uh, a cultivated uh, um, skill, talent, uh, you know, inborn stuff that I have to, 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 to come to this presence, but also I have serious motivation because I too of my life have struggled with not being present. I too in my life has struggled with like, what did I just eat? Um, I too have drank this, you know, 1986, you know, 35 year old wine 
And because I get caught up in the conversation or something, I'm sipping without really sipping it. I'm not really there tasting it. And like suddenly the wine is gone. I'm like, so it's like, it's constantly, constantly reminding yourself um, until it becomes very natural to be so more and more present that you start to get more and more out of the moments. And you start to be able to kind of enhance that and, and again, really guide your awareness to where you want it to be. And then again, really bring value to, to that. Externalizing verbally is such a great thing also. Like when you have an experience to share it with somebody else, you know, really magnifies your experience. It reinforces what you've experienced, what you're learning, what your uh, senses are having. And it also teaches you how to kind of better express what you're, what you're about and like what you feel and what you sense, which is not so obvious for everybody, right? Mm-hmm. Like just sit around a table and ask people when they're eating to say three things about the food they're eating instead of it's really good. Like, okay, we'll say three things. Uh, I really like the temperature of the food. Uh, I like the spicy levelness. I'd give it a four out of eight. Uh, and I like how long the taste stays in my mouth, you know, mm. or it could be like a memory. Like I, it just, this reminds me of my grandmother's cooking or whatever, or when I was in Mexico traveling on holiday. So like we start to connect all these different dots. And like when you also, when you highlighted someone else, maybe you're with somebody who's lost in thought, they're struggling with something today and you're helping them to come into the moment, Right. You're facilitating them to join you and to say, whoa, 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 wake up, snap, snap. Like, do you realize what we're drinking here? Like, do you realize the quality of what we're tasting? Like, when was the last time you tasted something like this? I mean, do you realize what we've been gifted by John? He brought this bottle for us today that's been sitting in his wine cellar for the last 15 years that he bought at a wine show. Um, in a village and you know I mean like it goes like all the stories start to come out and we start to really live a a more enriching lifestyle I would say. Mm, That is just so beautiful I'm getting so hungry and I just okay so now David we got to talk about this this alivefulness help us understand what that is and um, yeah and how we can you know, be more of that, embody that you clearly just embody it. You are like just here with us and you're here with all of these experiences. So talk to us about alivefulness. Yeah, we've touched on a lot of the elements of alivefulness. It's, it's really, a, I, I kind of refer to it as, a, as the mindfulness, you know, 3.0, uh, which is probably not a fair way of, of putting that. Um, you know, alivefulness is our ability to be present to what we are experiencing sensorially, uh, um, you know, intellectually uh, uh, in, in the moment. So alivefulness is first and foremost, your ability to train yourself to be able to come into the present moment to be reconnected with yourself, first of all, uh, to really, you know, feel in your heart, feel, you know, when you're touching your fingers and you're looking at your hand or whatever it is to trigger yourself, to bring your awareness 
to something beyond your thinking. And as you come into that connection, that embodiment, that grounding with yourself, then you can actually lift up your head and ask yourself, like we did earlier, like, where am I? Uh, and look around and again, kind of do a, a sensory, sensorial check-in, like, like, what am I seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting? Uh, who am I with? Mm-hmm. And then suddenly you're really like, like in, in 5D, you're suddenly, you're suddenly there. And then from there, it's like, well, what am I appreciating? What am I going to give value to? I'm in a museum with five paintings around me. Which one is drawing me the most? What am I, and what do I really appreciate about that? And you start externalizing it and sharing it, either in your own head or uh, with somebody that you're with. What do you like about that painting? Um, what are you liking about, loving about this sauce that's on this burger that you're eating? Right. And so, again, you're externalizing what you are experiencing, which joins this allegress, this shared joy, um, this this empowered self-expression of knowing what you give value to, what is uh, essential and important to you, what your preferences are. Uh, And this is good, bad and ugly. You may go someplace and really not like that, but you need to be able to externalize and express what it is that you that you don't like. And from there, uh, you know, we can add some icing on the cake and say, you know, then you start to realize that when you go into experiences of your life with more intention, that you would choose and make different decisions. So you get, you arrive at the restaurant and the maitre d' just kind of unconsciously takes you to whatever table. And it's like at the exit of the toilet and you're like, you're like, no, um, I want a peak experience at this restaurant. You're like, well, I want to, can we sit at one of these tables over here? This is, you know, um, and, you know, you realize that they're just kind of sitting people probably in the worst seats who are not going to complain, you know? Right. So it's, it's standing up for yourself. And it's, again, it's raising the standards of who you are and uh, um, self-determining the kind of experience what you have and like, you know, pushing yourself to dare to affirm and assert who you are and that you have value and that you want to have the best experience for here, for yourself, for your friends, for your family, and being the being the leader there. Uh, and that, and, you know, sometimes that doesn't always work, but most of the time it does. Um, and in any case, you're, you know, you're getting kind of more used to that. And then really from there, just to kind of close the loop, it's about returning to a sense of deep gratitude for um, everything that we're experiencing, right? Uh, to again, to like have a living experience of expressing gratitude. Um, some people are doing this in journaling the morning at night, all this. I'm like, well, hey, let's do this throughout the day. <laughs> let's be thankful to people. Let's express our appreciation and what we're experiencing. Let's be complimentary to people. Uh, you know, I, I think complimenting is something that's been really damaged in our world in the last several years here as things have become so politically correct. And there's a lot of male-female conflict and things that have been happening in the world. And it's like, what a shame it is to not be able to say to a, a woman, I love the way you're dressed or wow, you look so beautiful in those high heels or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. right to be able to say that with the right intention mm-hmm. uh, but to 
to be able to share that and, and live in, in these beautiful moments. And, and I would hope that in our lives, through the good, bad, and the ugly experiences, we can bring this sense of a lifefulness and expand uh, our way of experiencing life. So, I mean, even with, uh, you know, taking a cold shower, which is such a big subject these days, right? Mm -hmm. there, there is a lot of value in the sense that you are expanding your ability to experience more of what life is about. If you're only going to always, you know, this is just a metaphor again, but if you're only going to always take the warm showers, go the comfortable route, uh, you know, you may be preventing yourself from experiencing something more deep in you, more strong within you, mm. um, more curious within you. You may be preventing yourself from experiencing um, all the possibility that you have within you. I talk about this sometimes uh, also, you know, playing a lifefulness in, in taking holidays. I mean, um, if you live a relatively comfortable uh, life, I don't really see the point, you know, 100% of the time to go on holiday to somewhere um, comfortable, you know, and even if you go to some, you know, foreign country, like, you know, let's not go to Club Med, right? You know, the French have Club Med where they go and travel around the world. And this is probably good for families and stuff. But nonetheless, like you go into an environment where it's like taking a piece of France and putting it into, you know, somewhere in Latin America. Um, you know, well, I, I don't, I don't really see how that expands our ability to experience the diversity, the creativity, the local aspect of uh, the difference, uh, in, uh, in life. And so the more of these experiences we have, I believe the stronger we become as human beings, the more open-minded, open-hearted, curious and understanding, compassionate and empowered we become when we come back home and we live our everyday lives. Uh, and I'm not saying that I live like this all the time, but I certainly aspire to it. I practice a lot of what I preach. Uh, I'm really, um, it's sort of my, uh, uh, my way of feeling that uh, like, like I'm not missing out on my life uh, and I'm not withholding myself from experiencing what life is really uh, all about. Mm. Oh my God, David, I love it. You are just um, loving life and we all need to be doing more of that. I think it's so beautiful. Just your kind of, um, you know, the pace of life. I mean, the way you kind of speak and your tone and all of that just embodies this kind of, um, amazing life that you have been cultivating for yourself. And oh my God, you've been so amazing, David. Now, let me ask you in closing, I feel like we could go on and on and I would love to uh, revisit this in the future and go deeper with some of what you teach. We really didn't even touch on that, but I know you shared so much wisdom and so many insights, but in closing, what is your message or a wisdom? What powerful words would you like to leave us with? Mm. Yeah, thank you, Sue, for having me. Uh, you know, two, two and a half years ago, I, I lost my uh, 
beloved uh, French wife mm. um, after 27 years of a, a very beautiful uh, marriage. And following that, I, I wrote a book to honor that and to remind myself in the first instance that life is finite, that life has serendipitous moments, good, bad, and ugly, and our ability to be resilient through that and live with a as full of open heart and mind as we can, uh, you know, being the best human we can and doing what we can with who we are, where we are, uh, and realizing that, you know, life is about coming back to loving life again and again and again through all the struggles we face, whatever they are, losing your job, um, a separation, a divorce, uh, a best friend who betrays you, what, whatever happens in life, to, you know, come back to loving life. And, and this happens, for me, it happens through reconnecting with uh, you know, pleasure purposely, finding ways to savor the little moments, the middle moments, the big moments, the gigantic moments, creating and determining what is of value to you and being a leader in, um, you know, hosting dinner parties or whatever it is that you do uh, in your life to bring and share the joy with others and just realizing that, you know, we just never know what can happen tomorrow. And so the book is called Dance of the Love Caterpillars, mm -hmm. an inspirational romantic tale of the adventures of loving and trusting life. And I would just leave everyone with my wish that uh, we don't settle for not living uh, a life that we love. And we take our own responsibility for um, finding our way, our unique uh, path to reconnecting with that uh, and we live a life that is more about abundance and a cup half full and gratitude and appreciation and savoring more than it is about sort of self-pity and scarcity and uh, feeling sorry for ourselves and not really uh, facing um, what's you know, what would make us have the most full experience of this one, one beautiful life uh, that we're going to live. Mm, oh my God. I love it, David. You have been so amazing. And I just thank you so much for uh, being here, your time and your love and light. You've been awesome. Thanks Sue, for having me. Thank you.